0: Actually, just before I start, I just wanted to share a a story this week. A a close friend of Sue and myself, um, her mother was about 70. She's a very educated lady. I've only met her a few times, but she was very strong in voicing her opinion that she didn't believe in God. And she let me, she didn't beat around the bush. She told me quite plainly that she didn't believe in God. Anyway, this friend of ours, she's been praying for her mum for about 10 years. She's, like I said, this is someone who's very opinionated, very strong in her thoughts. Anyway, she's encouraged the mum to read the Bible and guess what happened the other day? Yeah, it's quite amazing. If you'd met this lady, you'd think, wow, how can God work in someone's life like this? And um, yeah, really praise God. So, word of life. Yeah, it's the word of life, alright? It changes lives. So, let's dive into it and read it this morning. So, if you've got your, your Bible with me, if you'd like to open it to Luke 14. So, Luke 14:25, And this is what it says. It says, Large crowds were travelling with Jesus, and turning them, to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his mother and father his wife and his children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? Or if he lays the foundations and is not able to finish it, Everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or well, suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able, with 10,000 men, to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who will not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again?
1: Good morning. It is such a great privilege to be here. And um, as Scotty mentioned, we are so so privileged to be able to be partnering alongside Evan, Evan's head and Grafton and different churches, but also my friend Les. I had the privilege of meeting Les almost about six, seven years ago um, when he was in Armandale working there at the schools and then we ran a kickoff. And then he said to me, Marty, we're moving to... Evan's head, and um, and I had no idea where Evan's head was. Um, he goes, Would you guys come and run an event there? And because I care a lot about it, less, I said, We'll go, bro. I mean, I had no idea where it was. I thought maybe close to Armada, I don't know. I had no idea where it head was. Um, Interesting enough, just a few weeks prior, Scotty and I were talking about it. He goes, Marty, what about Northern Rivers? And I said, to be honest, he spoke about Lismore. Uh, I said, look, let's just pray and wait what the Lord have. And, and then shortly after that, and so God has just allowed us to open these doors to be able to, to come. And and uh, so, Leslie, it's been a privilege. and. If you move, we'll follow you wherever you go. But mum says, no, don't move no more. So, so mum, no, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not no, no, no prophecy mum here, no, no I'm going to say no, but we'll follow wherever you go, bro. You know, it is a joy once again to be here, I mean, and it's such an important topic what I'll be sharing today. And I've got to begin by saying, I am no expert in this area. I am like you, growing, and, um, and I just want to ask the Lord to speak to us. As we address this important topic about following Jesus, um, I've done various changes as I've been preaching this message and as I was preparing to come to Evans. Uh, I really believe that God has a wonderful message for all of us. So let's just pray, quite in our hearts, as we talk to, to God and this concept of following Jesus. Father, we want to quieten our hearts. Lord, we've had a busy week. Work, study, ministry, parenting. Um, And perhaps, Lord, it it wasn't a, a good week for some of us. Or others, Father, it was a hectic week and our bodies are tired. And Father, you know. And I just pray now as we're going to sit and hear your word that you would speak to us. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would minister to our hearts and minds and that, Father, that as the way we came in, we will walk out differently because you have spoken to us. So, Lord, help us to understand this incredible concept of what it means to to follow you in the name of Christ, amen. Just in this passage that we read, the word disciple was mentioned several times. As a matter of fact, if you go through the, the New Testament, there's only three references of the word Christian twice found in Acts and once found in First Peter. In the NIV, the word disciple appears 270 plus. In other translation, it appears over 200. So only three times the word Christian is mentioned, but the word disciple is mentioned hundreds of times. It's interesting. The word disciple means a follower, a learner. Somebody that will sit under somebody to be taught. And it's interesting that Jesus addresses the men that he has chosen as disciples. And so as we look about this concept about following Jesus, let's see how we can learn about the concept of discipleship. So let me just begin by... Giving you a key question, and the key question is: Is Jesus worthy to follow? Think about it. Because as we walk through this message, this question we have to answer is: Jesus Christ worthy to follow? I didn't want to give you a key principle. And this is the principle. To truly follow Jesus Christ, we must consider the cost and put him above everything else. And that's really the essence of this passage. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about three important principles. Number one, what it means to be committed to Christ. What does it mean to carry the cross? And also counting the cost. Now, if we look in our text, let me begin by giving a bit of, bit of background. If you, if you take chapter 13, uh, chapter 14, often you're going to see and hear this expression. Now, I'm reading from the New King James Translation. For example, chapter 13, verse 10 says, Now he was teaching. In verse 6, he spoke and taught. Uh, Verse 22, And he went throughout the whole cities, villages teaching. Uh, There's this concept idea, every time that he opens his mouth, every time he speaks, he's teaching and teaching and teaching. And so let me give you this verse in John 8, 31, 32. It says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed, believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples. And you should know the truth, and the truth should make you free. So, once again, uh, to understand this concept of what it means to be committed to Christ, you've got to understand that His Word, the Word of God, is the ultimate authority. It's interesting because the text begins and He says, Now, great multitude went with Him. Now, you know about the multitudes. Many followed because he fed them. Many followed them because he had healed them. He had done something good for them. I mean, the miracles that he did was incredible. Gave sight to the blind. Those who were paralyzed, he, he made them walk. Though they, couldn't, they were mute, he made them speak. Though they couldn't hear. I mean, incredible stuff. Now, others would follow Him because they were genuine, but many, many followed Him because there was a secret agenda, there was an interest. So Jesus, as He's addressing the multitude, He's going to teach the concept about what it means to be a true disciple. And He's teaching the importance of God's Word. Yes, the next verse says, And if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother wife children brothers and sisters yes in his own he cannot be my disciple now is Jesus teaching us to have that emotion of hating no or else biblical principles will contradict each other no. That expression hate really should be better translated as loveless. Loveless. And if I put anything above God, I'm loving God less. That's the better interpretation of that, of, of that, of that concept. So he's addressing the multitude. He's giving these concepts. But you know what, guys? As I think about what it means to be committed to Christ, yes, the passage talks about priorities, talks about purpose, it talks about having a right perspective, but I want to share with you also this understanding of committing to Christ. First of all, you want to be a person that is committed to Christ, you need to be attentive to His Word. And I'll explain why. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20 says, My son, be attentive to my words, incline your ear to my saying. So you begin by reading it. The way you're attentive to God's Word, you begin reading God's Word. Friends, how important it is to daily, daily develop the habit of beating God's Word? There's no shortcut for godliness. You don't just wake up from it one morning and say, Hey, I'm godly today. No. So you begin with a desire to be attentive. You read his word. But not only attentive, you begin to accept his word. You regard it. Look at this verse in Psalm 119, verse 47 38. I should delight in your commandments which I love, and I shall lift up my hands to your commandments which I love, and I will meditate in your word. Once again, not only that you're attentive and you read God's word, now you begin to accept it and you value it. You begin to love God's word. You can understand the Bible is a love letter. My lovely wife, uh, this year, 4th of December, we'll be celebrating 24 years. Now, friends, I got married last when I was only 14 and a half. No, no, I wasn't 14. No no. no, no, no. 24 years of just, I mean, an incredible. I am blessed to have a woman that loves the Lord and loves her four children. Honestly, I'm so blessed to have a woman that, that God has given us a gift. My lovely wife. When she was going to give me the big yes of a relationship or court, whatever you want to call it, she gave me a week for me to pray before the big yes was going to come. So instead of her doing the issue a list, just tell me, Martin, yes, no, she, what she did, she wrote me a letter A4, many, many words. But guys, many, many words with many, many codes. So just to give you a bit of understanding. I couldn't understand the codes. I had to decode this letter. And on the bottom it said Sylvia, so the S was an apple, The I was an arrow. The L was a pineapple. And and so I had to decode this love letter. Now, friends, it was supposed to be a love letter, but it was a complicated one because I misinterpreted the answer. No, no, but not here, friends. The Bible, it's a beautiful love letter. That is simple. That is clear. For God that desires relationship. Well, not only you're attentive to do his word, you read it, you accept his word, you regard it, but now, guys, what do you do? You apply it. And that is a response. Here in Luke 11, we read, Bless rather those who hear the word of God and obey it. So now, as you're hearing about the context that he's teaching, if you abide in my word, then you'll be my disciples. If you understand that if you love less God and you put mom, dad, wife, whatever situation, God says, a genuine person that's committed to Christ, he's God's word. So, it's an understanding because when you come to a verse like Matthew 6.33 says, seek first the kingdom of God. Matthew 6.24, no one can serve two masters. Either they can hate one or love one. So what do you do with all these principles? So a person that is committed to Christ understand these principles. You read it, you regard it, and you respond to it. But as we continue, verse 27 says and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me Jesus said he cannot and then again he he says cannot be my disciple so someone doesn't understand God's principles because when you understand God's principles then you're going to love God more than anything else when you come to the verse when he says love the lord with all your heart and all your soul and all your energy and then you apply that biblical truth to reality but now it's not only an understanding of God's truth but now this concept of 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 carrying the cross what does that mean Jesus said four times in the new testament If anyone would come after me. 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 Four times that expression is repeated in the New Testament. In other words, he's trying to make an example. Because he took that cross. Listen to this quote from Martin Luther. Learn to know Christ and him crucified. Learn to sing to him and say, Lord Jesus, you are my righteousness. I am your sin. You have taken upon yourself what is mine and given me what is yours. You've become what you were not so, so that I might become what I was not. So what does it mean to... Carry the cross. What's this concept of anyone who would come after me? Jesus setting the ultimate example to become Christ like. And I want to share some principles. Number one identify with his call. Look at this verse in Luke 4 43. But he said to them, does it say I might I may I'll get to no it says I must I must proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God to the other towns also because I was sent for this purpose ladies and gentlemen You want to become Christ-like? You want to carry the cross? You want to come after Jesus and identify with his calling? His calling was to preach the good news. I must. I must. I must. For this purpose. We're looking for purpose in life, significance. Well, that's your purpose. You identify with his calling. I must. interesting that Paul imitated that purpose and in Romans chapter 15 verse 20 Paul says thus I make my ambition, my purpose to preach the gospel. See Paul followed that example. Paul was carrying the cross. Paul was imitating Christ. Paul says it's my ambition my purpose to preach the gospel. I must So you identify with his calling. But secondly, you imitate his courage. Look at this verse. It says, For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering. Just as Christ suffered for you, he is your example that you must follow his steps. Ladies and gentlemen, Suffering is part of God's will. And I know that's difficult to comprehend. Because maybe you're sitting there and and you know somebody that might have a sickness or cancer. Or you know somebody's going for a very difficult trial. And you know what, friends? And we are hurting and we are suffering. But we've got to understand that the Bible teaches that he or she that wants to live godly be ready for persecution. When Christ confronted that cross there was courage. He knew that that cross meant curse. He knew that nails were going to pierce his hands and his feet. He knew. And that's why in that garden of he, etymony, he, he prays. But friends, it wasn't just tears. Some theologians believe that he was so anxious emotionally. And yes, drops of blood, of that intensity. I mean, it was raw emotion. And he could have turned his back. But he chose to go through. Courage. Courage. To carry the cross. Not only you identify with Christ's calling, but you identify with his courage. You know what's incredible about this, friends? Because when he was just about to die, Luke 23, 34, 34, he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. He cries out, Father, forgive them. Instead of saying, Father, curse them. Father, punish them. They're hurting me, Father. He cried out, forgive them. Now listen to me, class. There's also another bubble character that prayed. Like Jesus prayed. And you know who he was? Stephen. Listen to Stephen prayer before. In the process, he was being stoned as he was evangelizing. Perhaps many theologians have said it's been it's recorded as the largest message preaching of an individual in the Bible. How much scripture of the Old Testament Stephen had. And while he was being stoned, and almost him dying, he cries out these words. And look at it if it's not similar to the cry of Jesus in Luke, in Acts. 760 says that he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this word, he fell asleep. Lord, forgive them. Forgive them. Stephen, he's been stoned. See, friends, to understand this concept of carrying the cross, you identify with his calling. I must preach the good news. But then secondly, you imitate his courage. I must endure. And in that process, still have love and care. But thirdly, not only I need to identify his calling, imitate his courage, but I need to be inspired by his compassion. the Bible says a new commandment I give to you that you love one another even as I have loved you you also love one another all through scripture especially when Jesus before he's going to feed the people he he looks at the disciple and he says you know what I have compassion for them They've been following me now for a long period of time and they're hungry. They're tired. I have compassion for them. Compassion. Love. Do you care? I was reading this book by a gentleman who directs a ministry called Dare to Share and he makes this powerful statement. Listen carefully. Please catch this concept because for me it was just, it really impacted my heart. He said this. We often, people, want to do good. So we do a lot of social justice, and that's good. We go and we, and we, we show love by feeding the poor. Great. Building wells. Great. That's, that's an expression, an act of love. Correct? Yes. And then he makes his statement every time. You speak about Jesus, it's an act of love. Every time you mention Jesus to an unsafe person, friends, is an act of love. Wrestle with that concept because you've been obedient and you've been caring for that person that, you know what, friends. There's over 2 billion people had have been recorded that have never heard the gospel. Never. Do you weep for the lost? Do you weep for the lost relative, friend, <laughs> son, daughter? Do you get on your knees and Thank God for mercy is going to be care and see they carry the cross by having the same care love compassion that Jesus had. well do you remember that key question Is Jesus worthy to follow? Remember the key principle. To truly follow Jesus Christ, we must consider the cost and put him above everything else. We're committed to Christ. We carry the cross. And finally, counting the cost. (coughs) Interesting that verse 28 to 31. It's an idea of counting the costs, it's illustrations that I mean you sit down first, eh? And you plan things. You, you don't go to war unless you sit down and you think through, you study your enemy, your opponent. That's, that's biblical, and it's also good practice in business in anything you do. You sit down first. You don't just, you know, go there and do... You'll be defeated. So, carrying the cost, it's, it's understanding seriously, methodically, what it means. So, he says, for which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first, and counting the cost whether he has enough to finish it. Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock at him. I mean, but really, counting the cost is also recognising the price Jesus paid. I love this verse in 1 Corinthians 6:20. 20. It says, For God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. And then secondly, guys, realize the privilege to follow Jesus. Now, guys, can I just wrap up? I've gone for 25 minutes, bro. Is that roughly the time you preach? Let me just wrap up with 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 this concept and then I'll I'll, I'll I'll finish up. Stay with me class. Don't go. Don't anyone falling asleep? I will scream louder. Mom? Okay, bro. You know, don't fall asleep, bro. I mean I'll, I'll. in Matthew chapter 4 verse 8 18 to 22 we read this passage. I'm going to wrap up with this. It says as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Jesus said, "Come, follow me." Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I'll and I'll send you to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat. With their father, Sabadee, preparing their nets, Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their fathers and followed him. Now, guys, let me just take, give you a, and I'm going to time it, a six-minute history class. I know if you don't like history, that's okay. If you love history, you'll love it. Six-minute. My sister-in-law was educated in a Hebrew school, both primary and secondary. She speaks fluently Hebrew. Speaking to her about the education of of Jews, you know, Hebraic uh, children. And she was telling me a little bit of how the whole process she went through when she did her primary and high school in Melbourne. Jesus here is going to call men. Passage. You've got Peter here. Uh, Andrew and his brothers, and he says to them, "Come and follow me." And they immediately, the Bible says, followed him. In the in the case of the two brothers, they left their father and followed him. You guys, you can ask ask the question, why? Five minutes. There are three levels of education. I'm going back now in history time. There was one label called the House of the Book." So all Jewish parents, when their kids were three or four or five, they'll take them to a school. To be taught the Torah, which is the first few books of the Old Testament. And so all these little kids were already getting an understanding of God, the Old Testament. Great. All kids went through that process. Secondly, there was a school called the House of Learning. Now, as they're getting progressive, now they're six, seven, or eight. Now, ladies and gentlemen, any teachers here? Put your hand up, any teachers? What, what do you teach, brother? Music. Unfortunately, they didn't teach music. Any other teacher here teaches geography? No, they're only taught the Bible. They wasn't taught geography, history, biology, chemistry, no math. My, my daughter's happy, no math. No, no, nothing was taught. Just now, as they're getting older, they're learning more about the festivities, the culture. And suddenly these rabbis are keeping an eye on this sharp. Jewish students, guy, girl, and girl, in that process. And so, once again, the house of learning now it's six, seven, eight, nine. And some kids already memorizing the Torah. They didn't just memorize in the beginning God created them. No, word perfect, or the Bible. So, suddenly, this rabbi is saying, Wow, this, this guy's looking sharp. What's your name, son? Oh, Tom, he's a sharp kid, man. He's memorizing the Torah. So, they keep an eye on Tom. And now, but you can understand. But also in that process, where Tom is, there's Camilo, and he's struggling. And you know what? And and uh, uh, he's happy to be part of that. But Tom is excelling, so the rabbi is keeping it on Tom, and suddenly he's not. He's got no longer got his attention on Camilo. So what happens is, traditionally was as they're getting older, education was only continued those that were excelling. Because the first stage was the house of study. So Camilla, was, they would tell him, look, Camilla, you did well, but you know what? You need to go back home. And if Camilla's father was a plumber, well, Camilla of tradition would become a plumber. If he was a bricklayer, and if he was a fisherman, Camilla would be what? A fisherman. However, Tom, Tom is excelling well. So in the house of learning, it was kind of like the idea of your PhD. You can understand this guys. Three minutes. You can understand these guys that the Jewish at the age of thirteen they will become men. That was part of the tradition. So now all these young Jewish people, and Tom is excelling. He goes through this scrutiny. He's been tested. He's been proven. And the, are, the rabbis are watching. But those that went on, like my friend Jeff, I mean, he went a bit more than Camilo. But however, the rabbi said, you know, Tom is excelling. Was I'm sorry, Jeff you got to go back. And if his father was a fisherman, Jeff would be a fisherman. However, Tom is excelling. Now, for Tom, he would have longed to be called by the rabbis, follow me. Because that was the dream of every Jewish to become a rabbi, to become a student. And what would happen was when the house of learning, in the Hebrew word is the bed midrash. That was the term of that. It was the elite. That only few would make it. And by the age of 30, there were already rabbis qualified in the schools of Jerusalem, Jericho, not Galilee. Now, let's go back. I've got a minute and a half. Let's go back to the Sea of Galilee with a Galilean accent. See, Jeff and Camilla didn't make the cut, they didn't make the cut. Or Tom. The rabbis would keep an eye on Tom, and Tom would, would go, he would go, ask the rabbi, Can you disciple me? The rabbi would never say, Follow me. He would say, Follow God. And the rabbi would take Tom under his wing. Jesus comes. And he looks at these two men who didn't make the cut, they were going to be fishermen for life. Says, come. Follow me. They knew that he was the rabbi. He had done all these miracles. They called him master. It was like saying, Michael Jordan, best NBA player, young Les is a teenager playing basketball, and he had no idea. And Michael Jordan says, Hey, young man. And Les realized, Michael Jordan! Oh, my goodness! Whoa! Imagine, what's your name, son? Bob. Bob! Imagine Diego Maradona, the best soccer player in the world, and he sees you kicking the 40 the soccer, sorry, the soccer, sorry, and he comes and he says, Tom, I'm gonna to be your personal coach. Yeah. Man, oh man. Do you think they're gonna hesitate? <laughs> no, that, mom and then I need to go! in Acts chapter 4 Peter is now serving and the Pharisees are pulling their hair these men are untrained uneducated however they've been with whom? this? Jesus what a privilege to follow Jesus let's pray Father we love you We thank you for your word. We pray, Father, your Holy Spirit will just take your truth and allow us to run with it. Thank you that you called us. And perhaps we're not the most brightest, the most intelligent, the most eloquent, the most gifted, but you don't care. You call people. The Bible says you call call the foolish to humble the wise. And I just pray, Father, as you've called us, that we will look to you and follow you wholehearted. What a privilege that Jesus has called me. We love you, Daddy. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Lord bless you, folks.